0: Hey everybody, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome back to this week in the news. Thank you to the integral, uh, to the Institute for Cultural Evolution, for sponsoring this program, and I'm happy to be with you finally live. For those of you who are joining here on the Facebook Post Progressive group, also check out the Post Progressive post online, and um, yeah. Here we are. So this is now Friday, January 7th, and we are just one day past the anniversary of the, well, what was it? Was it an insurrection? It was an insurrection if you watch MSNBC or CNN. If you watched Fox, it was a riot. If you watch Newsmax, it was a rally of patriots that got out of hand and if you attended Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Green's rally, I guess yesterday or the day before, it was a Fed surrection, which was, as they put it, an orchestrated event by the FBI or other federal law enforcement to increase the criminal activity of the day. So again, you know, welcome to the culture wars and to this crazy. I was gonna say country, but it's, it's a human issue. I mean, that we all have opinions and ideologies. And one of the things that integral helps us with, uh, integral theory, is that all of these are downstream from the structure of consciousness. Not just what you think, but how you think, and who you are. And one of the things I would note in the march of cultural evolution is that more and more people are getting hip to this. And we, you know, anybody these days who is really studying the, you know, political science or the, you know, the culture wars, just even as a, you know, active participant, realize that people are operating less from a, as a function of reasoning than they are from a function of identity. And again, these are deep structures of consciousness. And I, I, I got a chuckle from a comedian who posted on Reddit, one of her jokes. And she said, my son asked me, mommy, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? I was like, all right. A Democrat is like this really nice aunt who promises to take you to Disney World but then something always comes up and she never comes through a republican is like this really grumpy uncle and he tells you there's no money for disney world but then you find out he went without you <laughs> that's pretty funny huh one of the th- <laughs> we don't agree on much but one of the things we do agree on is that democracy is under threat that's the big you know that that's the panic headline that you get from the left and the right right now. They blame it on the other, but but there's a certain intelligence to it, and and it's it's something that you know if we look at integral or theory, or if we look at just developmental theory, the spiral of development. Modern people and most of us in the developed world, and certainly in the United States, two thirds of us are. F- you know, center of gravity, modern. And modernity was a, you know, every stage is has a huge implications for the structures of society. And for the first time in human history with modernity, we had a structure where winner didn't take all. You know, in tribal societies, in uh, certainly in red empire societies, the winner takes all, the loser becomes, you know, just killed or enslaved or whatever and that's not to say that modernity didn't spark early like in the Greeks and you know some of this the, the, the senate of the Algonquins and there's some places where there was a balance of power that, that uh, the idea was let's get past this endless warring and realize that nobody gets to win and it's one of the things that um you know, democracy requires of us is that we are willing to lose. And only modern people are willing to lose our center of gravity, modern, the, the spiral lives in all of us. So, um, you know, people are worried about that. And here's some statistics. This is from the Wall Street Journal. 68% of the American people have come to believe that the events of January 6th, represent an increasing danger of political violence, compared with 32% who regard it as an isolated incident. So 68 to 32. 62% expect violence by the losing side in a future presidential election. In a survey released on January 4th, three days ago, 83% of Americans are worried about the future of America's democracy, and 71% say it's weaker than it was four years ago. Overall, two-thirds of Americans regard U.S. democracy as either threatened uh, or th- two-thirds re- regard it as threatened compared with one-third who describe it as um, secure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Again, these strata are online in all of us. And we're right to be suspicious of each other, Because we all know that deep down inside, we ourselves are secret autocrats. You know, if I could have waved a magic wand to make sure that Joe Biden won and Donald Trump lost, I I sure would have wanted to. I mean, I actually think at this stage of the game, I might have just let the chips roll. But Uh, definitely against Hillary Clinton, not that I was a huge Hillary Clinton fan, but I would have waved the magic wand then. Uh, I've grown since, I think, and, you know, sort of accepted this sort of the tragic nature and the, you know, the fighting forward that we do as a culture and as human beings. But anyway, we're all suspicious of each other. We ought to be. And that's, again, why we don't trust each other. We set up these systems where we check each other. And that's true certainly in the voting systems, you know, you have to have a person from each party who are witnessing the votes and all of that sort of thing because there, you know, there's these two twin bugaboos that haunt both sides of the culture wars. The fear of the right from the left is this idea of voter suppression, of not letting people get to the polls. From the, the right, the fear of the, on, of the left is voter fraud that these lefties? They run the machines. They run the machinery. Um, you know they, they're 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 cooking the books. And um, I, I was very interested. I'm always interested. You know, in this media verse that we live in, you have to be careful. And at some point, you just get bored with listening to people demonize your enemies and you know argue for your side. And so it becomes more interesting to uh, read an article that is from a left um, point of view, uh, from a a left organization that is presenting something that is on the right. That's just sort of naturally integral. And there was an article in the New York Times, uh, I think a week or so ago. It was called Democrats, voting rights are not the problem. Because of course, Democrats are, and Republicans too, are, they're running on this idea of voter suppression, voter fraud, you know, that, that those are, you know, and, and they're both, both, they make sense, they feel right, but there's no evidence of them, or very little. And that's what this article makes, makes uh, the point. And so I forget who wrote it. I think I have it here, <laughs> I don't think it was anybody. Yeah, I'm not finding it, at any rate. The article, it was on the op-ed page, said, Democrats want fewer constraints and more time for more people to vote in more ways. They say that broader participation is essential to a stronger democracy and that restrictions on some modes of voting amount to suppression. They also assume that higher turnout will help the left win more elections And some of the practices they want to enshrine, like ballot harvesting, and this is a right-wing talking point, this is in the New York Times, ballot harvesting, in which other people collect ballots for delivery to polling places, which, frankly, reek of the corrupt practices that political machines have long employed. And, I mean, if you want to look at the history of voting, I mean, we're, we're doing good at this stage of the game. And both from the left and the right, there's a strange agreement on what needs to be done, and I'll get to that to the se- in a second. So anyway, that's this um, op-ed's view of what the Democrats want. Here's what the Republicans want. Republicans want more safeguards and boundaries around voting. They say that greater security is essential to making sure only eligible people vote and that long voting periods and different methods to cast ballots risk enabling fraud and distorting the meaning of elections. They also assume that lower turnout will help the right win more elections. And some of the restrictions they want to impose, like limiting Sunday voting, frankly, reek of the racist practices long used to deny the vote to Black Americans and other minorities. If we take both parties' most high-minded arguments at face value, they are worried about problems that barely exist. I love that. If we take both parties' most high-minded arguments at face value, these are the arguments that are going to run on here in the midterms and onward, that they're worried about problems, identifying problems here that barely exist. It is easier than ever to vote. Registration has gotten simpler in recent decades, and most Americans have more time to vote and more ways to do so. Voter turnout is at historic highs and black and white voting rates now rise and fall together. And um, so that's the analysis of this op-ed uh, on voting rights. Uh, and the conclusion that the author came to was that we should modernize the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which is takes care of not the voting process. Oh, thank you, Alexa. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm haunted. There's a ghost in the machine here. Anyway, uh, modernize the Electoral Count Act of 1887, and take care of how the votes are counted, not the you know uh, suppression and so forth. A Wall Street Journal actually had an interesting article today, this morning, about Donald Trump can never lose, and it talks about his fraud fantasies and. They wrote, and this is the Wall Street Journal editorial board. These are pretty far right people, generally. The editorials are, you know, the op-eds can, can, can range, but the editorials are pretty reliably, you know, very partisan and Republican and right wing. So he says, the former president will never admit that he lost the 2020 election, no matter the cost to the country or his supporters. Mr. Trump's statement throws out, this is a statement that Trump released yesterday throws out a farrago of questions about, quote, questions about the election intended to imply massive fraud that he could never prove in court, in Congress, or in subsequent state audits. And he, they, he goes on, they talk about it, a few of them, uh, His his, quote, questions. And then he says, this is the the editorial writers say, that's the pattern of Mr. Trump's changing election claims, superficially intriguing, but readily explicable by the data, which we have reviewed in these pages many times. Yet the former president still accuses Democrats of perpetrating, quote, the real insurrection, which took place on November 3rd. And then they say that he's going to hurt the Republicans if he keeps that up. Uh, Karl Rove made the same point in the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, one more, I'm going I'm to uh, uh, hit uh, a couple of the uh, spokespeople for the sort of mainstream right, William Galston, and the mainstream left, Michelle Goldberg on the, in The New York Times. And here's Galston. I'll stick with The, New York, uh, with the Wall Street Journal. And this is, uh, you know, I was impressed by this uh, op-ed. He writes an op-ed every week in The Wall Street Journal and uh, again, reliably Republican. And here's what he says. He says, was January 6th attack on the Capitol the result of a singular confluence of events or a harbinger of worse to come? And I love this next sentence, he says, am I suffering from a failure of imagination or an excess of it? (laughs) For the first time, I've begun to understand the plight of the German Jews in the late 20s and early 30s, and he goes on to talk about, you know, nobody thought that the Nazis were going to take over like they did, and many Jews stayed, many left, many stayed, and, you know, we know the outcome. Um, I would argue, of course, that and he, and he says, you know, the Weimar Republic analogies uh, have, have, you know, they, they, they can certainly be critiqued. I forget how he put it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not the same situation here. And partly because, or mainly because Germany prior to World War II was a center of gravity traditional culture. And even to, to the degree that they had this, uh, you know, military triumphalism, they were a red culture, a warrior culture. And that is, um, you know, that's different than a center of gravity modern country. It's radically different. One of the differences is modern countries are pacified. They're peaceful. That's not to say that they don't have red and, you know, traditionalists, holy warriors in their midst and the strata of that. But, uh, you know, the center holds and uh, I'll get to that in a second here. So so he also talks about that what should happen is a rewrite of the Electoral Count Act of 1887. And who knew about this act? But uh, he said a rewrite should clarify the role of the vice president, the congressional process for deciding between competing slates of electors from the same state and grounds for congressional objections to electors. The new bill should also answer some questions. Is a majority of the Electoral College all 538 electors or only those present in voting? Can a state hold an election after Election Day if it claims the results were tainted? In cases of disagreement, who's the state's executive with the power to certify its slate of elector electors? And he says the list goes on. And then here's his final paragraph, which sort of got my attention. He said, although we know how to reduce the chances of a contested election in 2024, it is far from clear that the political parties can agree on the necessary steps to do so. If not, the people's fears could become a reality and political violence could deal constitutional democracy in America a fatal blow. And that's a big statement. Political violence could deal constitutional democracy in America a fatal blow. I doubt that, actually. But, um, you know, that's where he's coming from. And that is, again, mainstream right. Here's Michelle Goldberg from the mainstream left, and she's writing in the New York Times. I think she writes a column every week as well. And she's talking about uh, this new book uh, on civil wars. I'm forgetting the name of it, darn it. Uh, But it's by Barbara F. Walter. She's a political scientist at the University of California. And um, she makes the case that America is um, heading towards civil war. And so here's Michelle Goldberg talking about this book and Barbara Walter's thesis. She says she argues that civil wars have predictable patterns. And she spends more than half her book laying out how those patterns have played out in other countries. They are most common in what she and other scholars called anocracies, and this is a new word to me, and I, I, I like it. It's countries that are quote neither full autocracies nor democracies, but something in between. And there are a lot of countries in that category. You know, we have Russia, we have China, we have um, you know Turkey, Hungary, you know lots of countries in that category, and. Um, And then she goes on. She says, the sort of civil war that Walters is worrying about wouldn't involve red and blue armies facing off in some battlefield. If it happens, it will be more of a guerrilla insurgency. As Walter told me, she relies on an academic definition of, quote, major armed conflict, unquote, as one that causes at least a thousand deaths per year and fair enough. I mean, if, if you wanted, if, if, if the idea is that we might have some band or some crazy uh, set off a bomb, um, uh, some group do some sort of a, you know, riot and, you know, it might be more planned and organized than this one on, on January 6th. I think that's absolutely possible. And um, a thousand deaths, maybe. I would just note that, Civil War, in the Civil War, there were 700,000 uh, people died. And that was in a population one-tenth the size of our population today. So the you know, Civil War is, let's not define that term down too much. But yes, I do think that there could be some political violence and, and increased political violence as the culture war continues to, as you know, the way I think of it is, it's a differentiation of consciousness in the country that has to be had and so that we can have an integration that moves us forward and to the next antithesis. So anyway, she goes on and she talks about that the Anti-Defamation League um, identifies 54 people killed in 2018 in political violence, 45 people killed in 2019, and only 17 in 2020, uh, which she says is a figure that was low perhaps due to the absence of mass shootings because of the pandemic. All right. So uh, here's here's the piece that I like, uh, the paragraph that I like from Michelle Goldberg. She says, there are parts of Walter's argument that I'm not quite convinced by. Consider, for example, America's status as an anocracy, I don't dispute the political science measure she relies on to show the alarming extent of America's democratic backsliding. And I'd actually be curious about what those um, measures are. But she goes, but I think she underplays the difference between countries moving from authoritarianism towards democracy and those moving from democracy forward, those going the other way. And again, Where's the center of gravity of the culture? Is it traditionalist? Then, yeah, traditionalist is still a a, uh, you know the winner takes all culture. Um, You know, it's God or Satan. That's the that's your choices. So, uh, or is it the you know democracies that are moving forward? There's this uh, implicit acknowledgement of cultural evolution in her statement, and I see it everywhere. Uh, You know, most people actually factor in that we're morally developing in in many ways, but they can't sort of admit it, (laughs) but at any rate. Um, So when I ponder from an integral perspective the dangers that we have, of course, as I said, the strata of authoritarianism is in all of us, and there are center of gravity authoritarian people in developed countries in America. Probably, you know, I don't know, 20% of the people would really, they really like, um, you know, they like a big daddy. And, And I talk about this all the time, that one of the ways of identifying the real problems of our culture, is just dealing with the the, the autocratic red warrior uh, parts of ourselves, and and I mean uh, not only within ourselves but the culture. So criminals, people who are you know can't make it in the modern world, um, violent people. This is the real uh, issue that you know, modern countries have to deal with. And what's interesting about what's happened with January 6th and the insurrection, riot, whatever it was, is this Donald Trump character. And he's, in a way, he's a a throwback in the sense that developmentally, in very important ways, not in all ways, but important ways, Donald Trump is arrested at red. So he's arrested at this warrior stage of development, which is actually pre-traditional. It's not about fighting for God or fighting for what's right. It's about fighting for yourself and maybe your family. And that is a characteristic of red, and it's not necessarily dysfunctional. I mean, we all need to have a healthy red strata. And of course, children grow through a center of gravity of red. and. At that stage, you know, Donald Trump talks a lot about being a winner and loving winning. But there's one thing that Donald Trump loves even more than winning, and that's just fighting, period. He fights when he wins. He fights when he loses. He's fought his way up. He's fought his way down. He's had all these boom and bust cycles in his life, and what's characteristic is fighting and spinning and looking good and creating this reality distortion that is a feature of red autocracy. And it's also interesting that, you know, we talk about each stage divides the world into, you know, red divides it into predator and prey. Uh, Blue-amber traditionalism divides the world into saints and sinners. Modernity, winners and losers. And post-modernity, are you cool or are you not? You know, those are the, that's the worlds that we sort of, uh, how we divide the world at these various stages. So one of the things that Red gets is being a victim also. So Red likes being a victim, or at least it gets it. It understands it. And that's Trump too. You know, he, we tend to think of him as the, an aggressor, but he's also a great whiner. And... You know, there's this flip side, you know, he talks about being a victim of a witch, winch hunt, a witch hunt like no other in American history, or that the real insurrection happened on election day, that sort of thing. And then another characteristic of red is this, you know, this thing of bling and looking good and, you know, flashy. And I, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. I think I have it handy, too. Come on. There you go. I just have to show. Because I I, I looked at it a couple years ago when Trump was elected. This is a picture of his apartment in. Here we go. Share screen. This is a picture of his apartment in um, Trump Tower. (laughs) So you see the gilded columns and the chandeliers and even the painted ceiling, like the Sistine Chapel, and all this oversized furniture that's kind of Greek, kind of classical, kind of, you know, it's, I I read an article about it uh, a couple years ago, called, uh, I forget what the name of the article was, but it talked about how autocrats all over the world like this style, gilded and dripping with crystals and that sort of thing. And the author of the article called it Louis the Hotel style (laughs) of architecture. Uh, Trump even had a gold toilet uh, in Trump Tower. So, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, most of all, it's uh, this red strata and also traditionalism. So warrior and traditionalism. And uh, let me um, actually, why not? Put this up and share it. So this traditional stage and the Red Warrior stage are pre-rational. That's not to say that people with a center of gravity traditional or warrior can, can't think rationally. They can. But their, their identity, the world space they lived in, is you know, basically prior to modernity. And that's the world of Trump. It's uh, you know, unconstrained by laws. You can use laws, but you use laws as a way of you know, gaining power or exercising power. And you know, it's a world of plunder where might is right, right? Uh, where the goal is not just to defeat the enemy, but to take their oil. A world where you don't just build a wall, but you make the Mexicans pay for it, you know. And that is that red world people, a lot of people, you know, we vibe to it. And, you know, I, like I said, I mean, I think we all have that. And I sometimes wonder if we had a lefty equivalent to Trump, somebody who's just like, bull in the china shop, take no prisoners, lying, prevaricating, all of the stuff that Trump did, but in the service of climate change or climate legislation and egalitarianism and that sort of thing. If, as long as they were uh, uh, running our game, you know, we tend to forgive our fanatics when they're uh, working for our own ideology. And, and this is, again, green. This is, this is postmodern. Post-postmodern or post-progressive, that whole game ends, you know, we, we, we become suspicious of our own ideologies. The question becomes when I run into an ideology different than my own is how can I incorporate that? Or what can I, what are they seeing that I'm not? And that becomes interesting at Integral because we can operate in this post-progressive stage um, uh, in, in, from many cosmic addresses as Ken Wilber would say. And I I heard a talk from him. I think I might have mentioned it, but one line stuck with me. He said, in the coming integral age, people will realize that they're 12 times smarter than they thought they were because they can have flex and flow between ideologies and take the best of each. All right. So, you know, that world of, Uh, conspiracies and scheming enemies and even scheming friends, you know, that urge to dominate that's in all of us, but it's the center of gravity for certain people and they have to be constrained. Uh, Certain countries, same thing. And this is the stage of human history that we're at. And, um, you know, at some point I think we will move beyond it uh, and it'll be a, you know, a van vanishing tale like cannibalism is now, or slavery. You know, there are things, there are net gains that humanity makes. Uh, We're moving post-war, at least in terms of these big hot wars. Uh, And, um, you know, so I don't necessarily see any of, you know, big violence heading our way. I think January 6th was a, um, it's all of the, I, I could, I can look at all of the except I'm not I don't think it was a false flag by the federal government, but um, you know it it was a it was a vortex of a lot of bad stuff that happened at once, and what makes it uh, uniquely alarming is that it was called forth by the president of the United States, and uh, I'm with Liz Cheney on that, and um, you know maybe uh, maybe Liz Cheney and Mike Pence can run. They're both kind of heroes. Anyway, I think that'll do it today. Again, sorry for the late start, but I'm glad we made it. And um, thank you for joining me for another edition of This Week in the News, and we'll see what's happening next week. I do this every Friday. Uh, The uh, Post-Progressive Facebook group, it's then published in the Post-Progressive Post, from the Institute for Cultural Evolution. And I appreciate you joining me and we'll see you next week. Same time, same station. Bye folks.